You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. We are in this series um, called Do This and More. And in this series, we've been going through it. We've been looking at 1 Thessalonians over the last couple weeks. And, and in this series, we're talking about where Paul wrote this letter to a new group of followers of Jesus who were kind of in struggle. They were living their lives and they were being challenged to live it differently than the culture. Instead of pleasing themselves, instead of pleasing others, instead of pleasing the Roman king, Caesar, they were taught to live a different type of life and they were challenged to live a life pleasing to God. And here's what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. This is the challenge, to do this. What is this? What does it mean to live a life pleasing? What does it mean to grow, transform, challenge ourselves, to live a different kind of life? to move, to discover, to be inspired, to live differently than the way we're living today, to not get caught up in trying to please everyone and everything. Because if you've been around long enough, you know, you've tried different routes of trying to find your value, your identity, your worth in people, in things, in consuming, in the more and more of life. And Paul's saying, no, no, do something else differently. So the first week we talked about when you live a marked life, you have an impact beyond yourself. And then last week, we talked about we're transformed, not by words only, but by God's presence, his power and deep conviction when we experience the kingdom of God. So what will it look like to the world if we're being changed and transformed? That's what we're gonna talk about today. That's what we're gonna dive into. Uh, but before I do that, I'm gonna take a moment to receive our offering. Uh, this is a time in our service uh, where we invite you to partner with us in what God is doing both here locally and globally. Even what was really cool this past weekend, if, if you know this about Kensington, we're passionate about moving out. And one of the areas that we've been helping with some refugee families in this, in this community, helping with vehicles and support in different ways like that. And uh, one of our team members on our move out teams just got interviewed on the radio because of the impact, they were being called difference makers. When you are a part of Kensington, you're a part of stories like that. And things like Jackson uh, talked about our next generation. So when you give, you're a part of stories that are much beyond just what today and this morning looks like, but an impact that's happening throughout our community. So our ushers are gonna come forward um, and you can give in that way, or as you can see on the screen, a number of other ways digitally as well. Uh, I was actually thinking about this. Um, I wanted to tell you a story. I'm gonna embarrass one of my friends, one of my new friends here because he doesn't like it. But my friend Dennis walked in the door uh, a few months back and he walked in the door and he just said, hey, I wanna be, uh, I'm kind of new to Kensington. I wanna get to know some people and uh, he's decided to start serving. He's, he's got a gift of hospitality and you'd never know it because he's serving always in the background. And Dennis and I were just laughing because we have this competition at the end of Sundays of who gets more steps. Uh, and Dennis has beaten me because he's running around serving different people in the community and finding different ways to plug in. And one of the things he actually stopped me this morning, I told him that I was actually talking about him and, and he stopped me this morning before I'd said that. And he goes, hey, I wanna find another way to use my gifts and my talents here because I feel so blessed in this community. I just love that. Uh, so when you create space for people, you create space for people like Dennis. And, uh, and those are the ways that your generosity has an impact. All right. So, uh, quick reminder, Paul, he's going from place to place, 
and he settles down in, in the, the city of Thessalonica for three weeks and he begins to engage the people. And as a result, a church is planted. And uh, in that church, it was really called out by three different groups of people who came together. One was a group of Jews, one was a group of God-fearing Greeks, and one was listed as prominent women. This uh, unusual group of people that didn't really associate with one another now are coming together to have an impact, and they're brought together unified out of the story of Jesus, which Paul told them about. So here's Paul, who is Jewish by his upbringing, leading a church of multi-ethnic, multi-class community. And guess what the community around felt? They didn't like it. Especially the, there was a Jewish community that was in power at that time. And they, they were actually so jealous. It says this in Acts 17. They rounded up bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. There was something about this group of followers of Jesus that disrupted their everyday paradigm. There was something that this group, them being together, them engaging with one another, them being on mission together, them being bonded, that caused chaos where people started to push back. It's amazing that the message of Jesus' sacrificial love would cause such disruption in this community. But Paul, as he went on to continue launching churches, the struggle did not go away for this group of people. And as a result, what ended up happening, this community that stayed, Paul talked about the type of life that he wanted them to live, the type of life he was encouraging of them because of their faith. And here's what he said at the end of his letter in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. And what's really interesting in this is it, it, Paul's first thing, after he kind of gives us this whole encouragement of this letter, he's like, remember the people who have loved you, who have walked with you, who have encouraged you, who've been with you in the struggle. Like, remember them. Be thankful for them. Be mindful of who they are. And then he says this, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disrupted. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And remember, they're, being, they're in a community that's in struggle. They're feeling the tension of what everyone else's judgment is like. And he says this, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Think about these words. If you were in a season of struggle, if you were in a season where you were uncertain about your value or you were having a lot of people who were given different opinions saying you aren't good enough or you aren't smart enough or you don't have what it takes, how do you feel in those moments? Do you really want to live at peace with people or do you start going into imagination land? Do you, I, I don't know if this is true for anyone else, but do you ever have like, there's a moment where you have an interaction with somebody. I just had one of these on the soccer field, okay? So I'm playing soccer in an over 30 league. It's ugly, y'all. It's bad, okay? And what happens is some people think the, the, the United States national team is going to come out and recruit them at 39, okay? And they're giving it their all. You're like, seriously? I, I have my, my one line is, I just want to walk tomorrow. Goal. 
Like, I don't care what else happens out here. I don't care if we win. I don't care if we lose. I just want to walk because I have kids and I have a job. Like, those are my, my goals in life is to survive. It's not the highest of levels, but it's my most honest one, right? But other people are like, no, I am doing it for the glory of the cameras that do not exist. And there is one guy, I wasn't planning on saying this, but there is one guy on the field, I watch him, and he is a social media influencer. Uh, and by that, what I mean is he sets up three cameras as he's the goalie. Every game, he has three cameras, and he has an Instagram following of about 80,000 people, um, and he has this whole like highlight reel that he did not show the game where we scored 10 goals. Just saying, okay? Did not show those highlights. But you, you have, I don't even know why I told that story. Oh, here's why. Because, I think I know why. Um, because so often we have this desire to please people. We're, we're trying to do that. And in the middle of suffering, we don't want to pay back Nothing when somebody hits us. We don't want to pay back. Uh, we don't want to give back something that when we've been hurt, right? That's not in it. We have these imaginary kind of conversations of if somebody says this, I'm going to say that, right? You know you do it. You're like, you have the quick-witted response that actually doesn't come out of your mouth. It's a good thing, right? But here is what Paul is saying. Hey, you are in suffering. This is the type of life I want you to live. This is how I want you to model in the midst of a society that doesn't understand why you gather together. I want you to encourage the disheartened. I want you to encourage those who are struggling, whether you agree with them or not. I want you to help the weak. I want you to be patient with everyone and not vengeful. Why was Paul doing this? Because he was calling us to a different type of relationship, a different type of love, a different type of life. When he said, do this more and more, to live a life pleasing to God, he was casting a different vision of what a pleasing life looks like. So right after that, that call of what a pleasing life looks like, actually he said this in, verse, in chapter four, verses nine and 10. And this gives us a little bit more insight on the type of love that he was challenging us to live out. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. As I was studying this, something stuck out to me that I'd never seen in this chapter, in this scripture this week. And it hit me in a way of, it's something that I think we can learn from, we can experience, we can embrace. See, Paul was encouraging a different type of life, a different type of love from what people had seen and heard. And here's the unique part of it. In our, English culture, in our English language, we translate some words in Greek to the same word in English. So if you know, uh, if you knew Greek, or maybe you're aware of it, or maybe you've heard it, there's a couple different words that are translated into the word love. This first one where it said, now about your love for one another, when Paul calls that out, he's using in Greek the term for Philadelphia, which is called the city of what? Brotherly? Brotherly love. 
Like we know Philadelphia as a city of brotherly love. In the Greek, that's what it's described as, brotherly, sisterly love. It's when you, you and another person, when, when you kind of experience life together, you're on the same path together, you have this brotherly, sisterly love. I know as a kid, like when I think about my friends, the ones in the neighborhood that I ran around with, the ones that, were at the, that we had our own like kind of sandlot experience, one of the greatest movies ever known to man, right? Like when we had that in the backyard under the one light in the in our cul-de-sac, like that was brotherly love with that group of friends. But, you know, I was talking about this with David earlier. My kids have noticed about my brotherly love for people. Uh, my, my, I have four children and my third child, my daughter, she's seven years old. She likes to call me out. I'm now at the age where I'm mocked. You know, when you've, when you've gotten to that age as an adult, as a parent, you're like, oh, this is fun. Like I remember used to mock my parents. This is a mocking moment. My daughter will be like, why'd you say bro to that guy? He's not your brother. And I was like, it's an expression. So now she goes, dad, dad. And her and my youngest like start making fun of me. They're like, do the sup bro thing. Do the sup bro thing. Which means you come up to somebody, you hit hands, right? And then double tap on the back. They're like, yeah. So now my daughter will come up to me in the middle of our house and go, sup bro. And she comes up to give me one of these because she's noticing the brotherly, sisterly love that I have for people. And she's just pointing it out. She's like, everyone's a brother. And then the other one, she's like, and then you say boss, you say this, you say that. She's like, I don't get it. Do you work for them? She's such a literalist. She calls me out. But she's noticing my interactions with people and she's like, you don't have brothers. I'm like, I know everyone's my brother because I didn't have them. It's a longing of my heart. Okay, blame my parents. But that's the first type of love that's called out, brotherly, sisterly love. When you kind of like the same things, you're a part of the same community. But that's not the kind of love that Paul was challenging the people to live with. Actually, the second part where it says, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another is translated out of the word agape. Now, agape love is the highest form of love that we find in the scriptures. See, agape love is tied to the love of Jesus. Agape love is the sacrificial love of Jesus in which he was incomparable than anything else in this world. It's an immeasurable kind of love. It's a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. It's not just, I like you and therefore I'm going to love you because I like you and we get along. It's a, I'm willing to lay everything down for you in God's type of unconditional love that doesn't see you for what you do, who you are or your past. It sees you as a son and daughter, regardless of our experience. That's the kind of love that Paul is calling us to live, the highest types of love. Almost in a way he's saying, don't settle for brotherly love, live in this kind of agape love that is more transformative. Even one of the most famous verses of scripture, John three sixteen, says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That word love is agape. It's the idea of the, for God so sacrificially, incomparably, immeasurably loves the world that he gives up everything so that the world can meet him and experience his love. This love is kinder. This love is costly. This love is different than the world's kind of love. And when people experience this kind of love, they experience God in a whole new way. See, when or how 
we love one another, when we live into this kind of agape love, how we love one another tells a story of how we love God. It's one of the most beautiful things that people get to witness in your relationship with Jesus, whether early or it's been a while or you feel disconnected. I want you to know when you realize that when we love one another sacrificially, different than the world expects, we tell a story of how we love God. And then even more importantly, in another way, maybe more importantly to others, how we love one another tells a story of how others can experience God's love. I don't know about you, but the people who showed me who Jesus was were the ones who loved God different and loved me differently. And it wasn't because we liked each other per se. It's because they had a type of love that was different than the world's. And I think this is what the call of those who follow Jesus are being encouraged to do, are being challenged to do in this scripture. This is what Paul is speaking into. And if we're honest, in our world, in our society, sometimes, why do people struggle to believe that they are loved? Because they don't see love between people who proclaim to follow Jesus. They actually just see people launching angry statements at one another, devaluing others. They see and feel the tension that is sometimes the unfortunate reality. And they feel like that they're not allowed into the Philadelphia kind of love. They're not considered brothers or sisters valued because they don't maybe like the same things or they have doubts, they have questions. Instead of experiencing agape love, sacrificial love, transformative love. Yeah, I don't know about you, but like, there are moments where I'm watching social media and when you see moments where people who were friends at one point begin to launch at each other on social media, it's like a train wreck that is so sad and destructive. But one of the things that I watch, especially when it becomes Christians kind of battling with each other, devaluing and dehumanizing one another, you wanna know what the saddest thing I, I think about is everyone else who's watching that and go, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, love one another. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, like you were called to this type of love. Like I don't, like I have friends of mine who won't enter back into the church because they feel like I don't wanna be a part of that. I don't wanna be judged by that. I don't wanna be held to that. Because they're saying the thing that's supposed to define the community of people following Jesus is the very thing they see missing. Now, one of the things that we say here at Kensington is we're all broken. Like we all are gonna make that mistake. We're all gonna react poorly at some point. Nobody here is perfect, right? There's the idea that the church should have just a big sign that says no perfect people allowed. It's the reminder that we are imperfect, but we are loved perfectly by God with agape love. Not just what you did for me today kind of love, a sacrificial kind of love. But when we find ourselves distracted, like I can get, like you can get, instead of love, we make our faith or our life or our relationships something other than God's love. We put something else on the pedestal. Sometimes people put politics or power on the pedestal, positions, a lot of petty things get put on the, on the pedestal of life, saying this is what is valuable. I was talking with a friend about this and he had this revelation. He said, you know what I've realized? I talk more about politics with my friends than I do about Jesus. So they know me more for my politics than they know me for Jesus. And that's a problem. 
It's like this beautiful, painful revelation. As I was thinking about this, I, I wanted to tell you, but there are other moments what we see that are the deep longings of all of our hearts. I was, we talked a little about man camp. It's one of my favorite things. And I'll make a plug, man, I would love for you to join me at man camp. It is fun, it is chaotic, and it is joy. Last year, there was a friend of mine who we got an email about 11 o'clock. Don't do this though, please. At 11 o'clock on Friday saying, I, I, can I come to man camp? So we're trying to find this person a ride at 11 a.m. And so some of the guys who are going, they recrafted their schedule. They, they figured out a different way. And they, they made sure that this one guy who didn't know anyone could come to man camp with us. And so uh, as they created that space, the, the person who was coming he told me, he was like, I, I don't like Jesus. I don't love Jesus. I don't even like church. But I'm coming to man camp because I made a bet with my wife. And, uh, and I'm going to win that bet. Right? Like that was his reason. And I loved him for his honesty. I was like, you are a beautiful human being. And, uh, but he said, I'm coming up to man camp and I have questions. And so this group of men just sat there for hours answering questions. Why, why does the church do this? What do you think about this? What is your view on this? And question after question after question. And the thing that my friend said is, he goes, I was met with love and care at every question. There wasn't disgust. There wasn't fear. There wasn't anger by my questions. There was love. And I watched this group of men who created space for my friend to experience Jesus who created space for him to wrestle with the things that he had in life, wrestle with the fact that his family didn't like Christianity, that, that he had some tensions that he had to navigate. He had some questions. And I remember the last moment on Sunday morning, we do this kind of open share time if people want to share part of what God's been doing and, and we break bread together. It's a really beautiful kind of way we end the time. And, and he's sitting there and he's trembling because this weekend has been so transformative. It's been something that he never expected. And I watched this group of men surrounding him. And I, one of my friends, Devon, is sitting there. And I remember his face. He's like, I can't believe what's happening right now. He's just like, would you believe that this person with question after question felt so loved and cared for that they would want to know Jesus too? And I remember as this group of guys, I was just meeting with them the other week. And we were reflecting on it like, what an impactful moment to be a part of seeing someone else not experience Philadelphia kind of love, but agape love. To be so transformed that their life would change forever. When you see those moments, when you see those moments, you're like, that's Jesus right there. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. I want other people to experience that too. How we love one another tells a story of how we love God, but also how we love one another, whether we choose to do it in an agape kind of love, tells a story of how others can experience God's love. See, love is designed to draw community closer. That's what love is meant to do when it's lived out beautifully. But when we forget love, when love is forgotten, what happens is it only creates more division and distance between people, between families, between brothers and sisters, between old friends. And yet what Paul is calling us to is to not have our love built on likeness, but have our love built on sacrifice. When you think about likeness, right? When I think about my, my friends growing up, the reason why they were my friends is because we lived on the same street. 
We had rollerblades. We had hockey sticks. We played backyard football. Like the reasons why we grew up together is because we were all bitter at the Lions together. But we loved collecting Red Wings cards. Like we had the same likes in our life. And as I grew older, as I started to fall in love with soccer, my friends became my soccer team because that's where I was. We liked the same things. We were friends because of what we liked. I was actually at the Woodward Dream Cruise, and uh, I'm standing there with my kids, and I'm watching as one of those friends, I was telling this to my wife, Jenny, I was like, that was one of my buddies that we would just run from backyard to backyard playing with. He walked right by, and I was like, oh, man, it's so great to see you, Chris. We did the sup bro thing. My kids made fun of me. It was a great moment. And, and, and as I saw my friend, I was like, oh, there were so many great memories that we had when we liked one another, when we lived in the same kind of season of life but I don't know you, I don't, I don't know your story. I haven't, we haven't been around each other in like 30 years. But you wanna know why we gathered? Because we liked one another. See, followers of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can actually opt out of this moment. But followers of Jesus should not be defined by their likeness of others. That's not what unifies us. But we are defined by our love for one another. See, what I think should happen as a movement, as a reminder, is people should, if somebody was to walk into the church today, walk into Kensington today, they would see people and be like, almost have this reaction, why are you all together? Like, you don't like the same things. You don't have the same life. You don't like the same sports teams. You're actually enemies because you're Michigan and Michigan State, and yet you come to church together with one another. Right? You have these different preferences for life. You have different backgrounds. You're from different ethnic identities. You have, you have all of these differences. Why are you together? And the reason would be because of Jesus. Because Jesus has done something in our hearts. He's shown us agape love. And because he has shown us agape love... We love one another. We have different beliefs. We have different backgrounds. We have different expectations. But yet Jesus meets us all in the middle of it. This is why Paul said, do this more and more. Because the world started to take notice. The world started to take notice of how this group of people, the Jewish community, the God-fearing Greek community, and these prominent women of all these different classes and communities are gathered together and suffering together and yet called to love one another and love the world around them. See, too easily, I think, we can settle for communities defined by likeness instead of communities defined by love. So, if that's the challenge that Paul is laying out, how does that impact our world? I was talking with a friend who just started coming back to church about six months ago. And I remember the day he walked back in uh, because I saw him in the hallway and I gave up, I gave him a sup bro hug and we just embraced for a moment and he showed me his family. He kind of updated me on where he's been. And, and in that moment, as I'm talking with him, I'm just overwhelmed with like tears in my eyes because I know his story. And we went out and grabbed some coffee and he started telling me, he goes, I've, I've had all of the friends of likeness. This is what he starts saying. He goes, I've had all the friends who like the same concerts, like the same music, like the same parties, like the same rhythm of life, and yet my life began to change. I started wrestling with where do you find purpose? Where do you find meaning? What is the point of life? And as I started wrestling with these questions, I had nowhere to go. 
And so he said, I've been gone from the church for 10 years. And I walked back in. And, and this was a moment that I just appreciated his honesty. He goes, I had no idea how I'd be received. You don't talk about honesty. He's like, would I be welcomed back? Would I be judged because I've been gone? Would I be missed? Would I be forgotten? And he goes, and the way that this community embraced me, he goes, I left basically with tears in my eyes and wondering what I've been missing out on. And as we talked about it, he said, I've had all of these communities of likeness, but all of a sudden in conversation with people and with friends, my conversation started to shift. I started shifting of what is a community built on love that is beyond just what we like. And so as he's been gathering back within our community, he's been like, there's just these beautiful ways that God keeps moving, keeps speaking. I didn't even care to talk to him a year ago. And now I'm leaning in and listening because of the community that has come around me. My encouragement is every single day, every single day you have the opportunity to model love that is sacrificial, love that is purposeful, love that is different than the world, and the world is longing for it. You want to know why? Because you and I are all longing for it. We long for something so much more transcendent. And Jesus knew this. In his words to his disciples, he actually said it this way. A new command I give to you. What does it say? Love one another. Say that with me. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you do what? You love one another. You agape love one another. You sacrificially love people, not because they have it all together, because you don't, I don't. You love them because they have been created by a God who loves them. They have been created with purpose and with meaning. And when we embrace this truth of what it means to love one another, we demonstrate the difference of what it means to follow Jesus versus follow the world. We demonstrate the difference of what God can do when he reveals his kingdom to us, when he reveals his hope, his peace, his power that has the ability to transform the inner workings of our life. When we love one another, we demonstrate that we are unified. We gather not because we like the same things, but we ultimately are loved by the same God who says that we have been created for purpose, created for peace, created for freedom. So here's my question. What is our next step today for all of us? Every one of us has an opportunity to take a next step. The first I would challenge you is who is someone, as I've been talking, as we've been looking at the story of the Thessalonians, who is someone that you are being challenged to love right now? Not Philadelphia kind of love, but agape love. Who's someone that you're being called and challenged to show the sacrificial love of God. They didn't deserve it. They haven't earned it. They've made mistakes. They frustrated you. They pushed you away, but you're being called to take a step towards them, to show them a love that is different than the world's. And if you're like me, as I think about that, I sometimes need courage. So my second next step today is who is someone who showed you the love like Jesus? 
See, it's a lot easier for me to take a step of courage when I'm reminded of the people who've taken steps of courage in my life. Thankful for the friends and who challenged me, who called me out on my mistakes, who've encouraged me in moments where I've been in the dumps, who've leaned into my question after question after question, who've shown me the love of Jesus. I was thinking about this and I, there's a person I haven't thought about in a while. I just sent him a text. There's this guy in my life, we call him Bad Boy Bill, uh, because after he retired from being a principal, he served college students in leading Bible studies in the fraternity system. And Bad Boy Bill would make the best Philly cheesesteaks. And he would just say, come on over, bring your questions. Let me make you a Philly cheesesteak and let's talk about Jesus. It meant so much to me that even after I graduated, I would drive down to Columbus where he was at just to spend time with Bill because he showed me love that is unlike the world's. He showed me mission and purpose. And then the last, wrestling with who can we love today? Who is someone that has loved us like Jesus? The last is how can I serve and help others experience God's love? How can I make this a regular thing? How can I do this, not just randomly, but how do I intentionally position my life in a way where I am loving and serving others? Part of the reason why I made the invitation to you to consider serving is because I think that's one of the ways. You loved my friend who walked in this door six months ago, wondering if he was valuable. You loved him as an usher. You loved him giving coffee. You loved him as a K-Kids volunteer who received his child. You loved him by smiling and welcoming in and saying, you're welcome here. You loved him by using your gifts and your talents on the stage. You loved him and you didn't even know him, but he was asking him, I loved. When we intentionally serve and help others, we get to allow them to experience the very same love that we have experienced. So as you think about these next steps, I'm imagining there are things in your mind that are happening. You're thinking about a person or people. You're thinking about an opportunity and God is moving. And my hope is that you would take that step of courage because others have taken that step of courage before you. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.